My wound is healed, so my debt should be healed too. That makes sense. Yeah. Really, what's the worst they can do? Dad, they'll send it to a debt collection agency. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 so what? Because all those guys do is they, they knock on your door and then they say, hey, you need to forfeit all your assets, but I don't have any assets. So I win and they go home. <laughs> I'm not sure it'll be that easy. It was for you. That was kind of a one-off. Huh? Look, don't worry. It's midnight. Prime time for infomercials. Huh? <laughs> Maybe you'll find some kind of debt relief solution. Or a really good deal on some catheters. That'd be great. <laughs> Welcome to Pod 49, a Lodge 49 fan conversation and discussion podcast about the AMC show. Wow, Whew. we're at, here at the season finale of season two. The episode is called Doors. I'm here with my regular co-hosts, Bart and Jim. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Good. Yeah, I, getting by. Yeah. I am doing pretty good myself. Whew. Feels like the end of a marathon. So, with that, let's go into some hot takes. Jim, lead us off. So, the reason we do this podcast is because we all love this show. But for me, the season finale, especially after the episode before it, just reinforced for me this is the best show out there right now. Like, no one else is doing the things they're doing. And what really just hit home for me toward the end of this episode was the arc of the friendship of Dud and Ernie and how they've taken that full circle. Just if that was the whole show, just those two guys, it would be one of the best things out there. But when you add everything else onto it, I just feel like what they're doing is just so bold and interesting and boundary pushing just in terms of, in terms of just exploring human relationships and people being introspect, introspective and figuring things out about themselves when you add in the magic and the mysteries and, and how they've made that work and still be tantalizing. We don't still don't know exactly what's going on with it. Um, and then all the technical aspects of just the, the cinematography and the costumes and, and everything. I just, I'm just so glad that I got into this show. You got me into it, Chris, and that we've been able to spend this time, you know, exploring it and, and watching as much as we have, rewatching and thinking about everything as much as we have. Yeah, it's really been a fun project, right? I mean, I, I, there's a lot of shows I love, but I, I haven't really sat down, watched a second time, taken notes, you know, um, dug into it and, and, and discussed it at such length. I mean, it's kind of yeah. like, you know, I was an English major at one point in my life, so this has been like a, a really cool English class. Yeah. All right, Bart, what is your hot take for the week? Um, I, you know, I don't know how much of a hot take I have, although, I, you know, I heard from one of our listeners that uh, we never have hot takes, so I guess this is fitting. Um, oh, yeah? What is that, what was, is that supposed to mean? Because oh, they're not dumb? Are they, they're no, cool takes, they're not lukewarm takes? Take that is hot, I guess, or a take. And they're not always takes. They're more like hot thoughts. Sure, we have loose, like, a loose definition of who that is, term, Who maybe? is telling you this? Uh, well, I, you could guess, but um, <laughs> that's all right. We, we accept we accept criticism. You know, we're whatever. <laughs> we're thick skinned 
Hey, we think outside the box of the hot take box. I think yeah. so. I'm that's, I'm okay with that. I'm convinced. Think outside that's a joke of that we do them as hot takes. Yeah, we think outside the thermometer for our hot takes. <laughs> So uh, anyway, I just was thinking about how, um, you know, this the the big theme of this show is a quest. And, you know, as Ernie says, they're like Ernie and Dutter in the band and they're talking about the quest in the Mexico. And Ernie says, you know, well, that's the thing about a quest. It always comes back. It always it always it ends. And then you're back at the order desk and going, you know, sort of back to your regular life. So this is our sort of. At least the podcast that dealing with the final episode to me feels like we're kind of at the end of our quest, our own personal quest or journey, the three of us to have, um, you know, tackled something we've never done before um, in this uh, labor of love for a show that we love. And that's basically it. I just sort of feel like so many times I feel like the show um, reflects what's going on in my life in so many ways. And, and so this is obviously wouldn't have existed without the show in this way. Now my life is re- reflecting the show into some degree, I guess, you know, by having this whole podcast and reaching to episode 10, because it has been a little bit of uh, some work, you know, it's been enjoyable, but the, you know, something I would say I didn't really rec- realize going into it was just like kind of how much work it would be to have the episodes air on Monday. And for me, I'm usually watching it like Tuesday morning because I had to buy it on Amazon because I don't have actual TV or cable or whatever. And then trying to watch, you know, fit it in work with the kids, watch it a second time, take the notes, get ready for recording, go through the whole process. Um, yeah, it has been quite a quest for us. And I'm just sort of reflecting now about looking back on the whole, all the episodes that we did, the 10 plus the two plus a couple of interviews and stuff. And yeah, what a long journey it has been. And um, a pleasure to do it with you two folks. I have to say. You Thank too. You. Yeah. yeah. A lot, of love. A lot of love going around here. <laughs> no, get emo with your uh, hot <laughs> takes, both of you. <laughs> let, let, me bring it, let me bring it back to some analysis here. Um, now, my hot take is going to seem so uh, so lame now in, in retrospect. But my hot take is you could tell the moment that the leadership of the lodge switched from Scott to Ernie with the conversation around the TVs and, you know, the TVs and bars, et cetera, et cetera, the kind of like good intentions of Scott leadership, but bad, bad execution. That scene to me had it all one, just in context of the show, how TVs, the communal nature of television, watching the game together, gathering for a favorite show is not antithetical to the lodge but Scott didn't understand that everything has its time and its place. And so in the tavern, it wasn't appropriate. And that's a kind of a funny running gag of both the show and this podcast. But Ernie very wisely understood that they do have a place within the culture of the lodge and his ingenious idea to put them in the throne room. And actually, when you want to watch the TV, you actually make it the focus rather than have it be this background noise in a place where you don't want background noise. And so that was just such an, you know, nuanced difference on what an effective leader is and what an ineffective leader is, even when they're kind of almost even think similarly 75% or have similar inclinations or et cetera, et cetera. So I thought that was such a, 
a neat way to do that. And of course, I think you're supposed to think that's almost the moment where Scott realizes that well as well. And he's being led like, no, dude, you know, it actually, you were almost right. You just weren't right enough or you need to, or you need it. That's where leadership needs to guide people that work with and for them. So I just thought that was such a great, Articulate that scene was a great articulation of why Ernie should be the sovereign protector and not Scott, and that it's actually a very subtle difference, not to some like you know one's bad, the other is good type of uh, type of uh, framing. Yeah, yeah, I really liked even the way um, Ernie kind of let him down easy. I, I, I thought sort of showed signs of great leadership too. You know, it would have been easy to kind of like take the piss out of Scott a little bit or cajole him even or something like that and um you know i think ernie kind of recognizes that he's he's pretty sore about it and that's why he like you know almost talks him down from the ledge a little bit like you know like you're saying he you know it's not that the tvs were so bad but it's maybe just not in the bar uh, yeah it was really gentle of ernie of way of kind of uh, bringing scott around to um the same idea so my hot take about your hot take, Chris, is that you need <laughs> to write the true definition of a hot take. <laughs> you need to write like a little thin like business book about like the wisdom, the managerial wisdom of Lodge Forty Nine, <laughs> and fucking get it into bookstores. Because <laughs> there's this, and then remember how you were all into when Liz was like, if you you know gave the speech at higher stakes, and she's like, if things are wrong, it's my fault. If things go right, it's because you guys are That's awesome right. or whatever. There's more stuff. I think that you've like really picked up on that and you could turn it into like a Bible of how to be a manager in this world <laughs> according to Lodge 49. And then get All more right. people to watch the show through that too. That's some serious meta stuff. You know, we're gonna he's gonna become uh, Janet in the real world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The lodge. Yeah, blammo. The goodness of the lodge and use it to his uh, betterment advantage in the <laughs> managerial okay. world. I'm going to steal both your stories. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right. All right, let's let's look a little bit. Who are we doing? Jim, are you giving us the uh, creative leads? Uh, yes. What I've got is that um, director was Jake Schreier, who has directed several episodes, and our writer was Jim Gavin, show creator, who you guys did a great interview with, along with Peter Ocko, the other showrunner. Which, if people haven't listened yet, uh, check that out. That episode is also available for download or streaming. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Let let me go to the uh, rate review. Let me go to the music. And this is a good time to say that next week we'll be airing our interview with music supervisor Thomas Patterson with a surprise guest. I'm not going to spoiler alert that, but uh, it is uh, Thomas plus one. Uh, it was a great conversation. You'll have to listen uh, to find out. That's right. Yeah. We go deep in the music. We really got into it. It was super cool to hear his process. So look for that. But for his for the songs on the door, we have Smash Tracks with Hawaiian Sway. And that was when Ernie buys Duds the thing from Herman and, and Bert in Bert's office. Then we heard this Fairport Convention, who were a 60s into the 70s English folk. It's where the world got Richard and Linda Thompson, and it was kind of the seminal English folk band with their cover of Bob Dylan's I'll Keep It With Mine, which is a brilliant song so and a brilliant cover of that song. And Fairport Convention are great. You should check them out. 
especially the stuff from the mid 60s. The Sound Carriers, of course, one of the sort of patron saint bands of the show uh, with their song At the Time, and that's the Night Swimming. That's the music to Dud and Liz Night Swimming. The song, the the artist, the band is Dis- Discorder, Discoder, Discoder, excuse me, with their song The Arrangement. And this is when it Melinda puts on the blindfold when she gets the call, and it's that really great, groovy, funky organ track. I love that track, and that was well used in that scene. And then, interesting, we, we got the story about the final song of season two, which is The David and their song Time M. We actually got the backstory on that from Thomas Patterson, which I'll you could mostly listen to in that interview, but it basically made the show because it was a cd that was in jim gavin's car for like literally years and it was one of his favorite bands and so they they pulled it out of the car stereo to get it into the episode and thomas talks about that in even further greater detail so that's the song rundown bart i think you're going to kind of you're going to be the master of ceremonies as we recap this episode he's going to be a knight and we are going to be his squires that's right. Um, yeah, I'm going to try to do sort of a quick recap and go through the three acts or the first, second, and third parts, um, dividing it up in thirds. The show is about 45 minutes long, so that works for that. Um, so it starts off in the donut shop, Jim. I know you were saying you were missing a lot of the donuts, um, scenes in the donuts. So we started off with the donuts. That was a good one. We got to see Alice again. She's asking us about Lamar. We get we get we get a lot of uh, fill in for what's happened to characters between when the Mexico trip and now. Um, so he's explaining, you know, what happened to Lamar that uh, he needs to disappear. And then Ernie and Bert, uh, uh, sorry, then Ernie and Dutter on their way to work together. Ernie's picking him up in the van. And that's where you know Ernie has that great line. That's the thing about a quest. They end. Then we see a little bit of Liz Champ and Jeremy. She's sleeping on the slide. I thought it was a great way to bring that back in. I also really love later on when they when you put it by the pool and we get sort of caught up with them. There's a lot of exposition going on in this first first act, I guess. That's with also then with Scott taking out the TVs. There's a nice scene with uh, Blaze and Dud in the library, which then leads to Connie, who's seemingly past her writer's block. She's hacking away at that old typewriter that fell in the sand, Lamar's typewriter. Um, she's got a, uh, a pseudonym, Abdulia Bardwell, um, which the, the character, the other characters kind of river her about. They seem not that impressed at first. And then of course, when she's playing pinball later, um, Scott knows. So now it's all around the lodge. Everybody knows it. And then there's a really important scene where we have Anil who is got the blindfold on and he's with Clara. We get a lot of reveal here about the fact that, um, the, uh, lodge one, knows that the scrolls are still back in Long Beach, which we, this is when we find this out. We also find out that Claire is in some real trouble. That's kind of a little bit of a cliffhanger there. Can I backtrack for a second? Yeah. So in the scene between Blaze and Dud, there's a couple of lines that I think are very important for the end of the episode. Blaze is kind of talking about, like, I'm through with my, you know, searching for all this Harvard Fritz Merrill stuff, and it's whatever it is what it is. I'm more concerned about the world now, whatever. But then he says, I'm done looking for a door to another world. And the dud says, because that door doesn't exist, right? Yeah. And at the end of the episode, we have dud falling through that door that's in the lodge itself. That's clearly has something to do with another world um, or the hollow earth or whatever. 
Um, so that just right. the rewatch that stood out to me. I love that scene too, in general, because I know it, it's such a great breakthrough. I mean, to see Blaze kind of on the other side, and I love, I love this idea that even through all that and his own personal journey and his kind of obsessive compulsive stuff with the mysteries of the lodge that he came out of the other side with this better understanding kind of where he was at the beginning, but with a deeper meaning in terms of uh, he sees himself as a healer, right? He sees himself as helping people. He says what he says that taking the shark out of you is my, you know, kind of my greatest feat lately. I'm a healer. I, I help people. I love that all of that got him back into that place and that that's how he, he connects to the real world. And I think, you know, it was no mystery that he kind of goes off the rails after his shop gets smashed up and he's disconnected from, from that was when he starts really going off the rails. So I just, that was a cool way to bring him back to what his kind of purpose is. Well, yeah, when he had the shop and he was, you know, he was coming up with the tincture or whatever for the Ernie's cat. And then he was, you know, had the box of pot for this reason or whatever for the other person. He, you know, that was where he was best. Yeah, his descent, in a sense, started in season one, really, when he gets kind of bamboozled a little bit by um, the con man. What's his name? Again? I'm totally blank, trying to blank. The Bitcoin True Lodge guy. Daphne's partner. Oh, yeah. Yes. Avery. 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 Thank you. Yeah. It kind of starts with Avery, right? Because Avery is buying into it and and Blaze is kind of like, you know, he's got someone who will listen to him. So he's very excited about it. Then when he realizes that Avery is just like a con man, it kind of seems like that's the beginning of Scott's um, downfall. Oh, Blaze. Yeah, he definitely. uh, Sorry. Sorry. Blaze. Yeah. Yeah. Blaze's downfall. Uh, I, he starts kind of unraveling from that point. Now that you mentioned it, I'm a little surprised we didn't see Avery again. He wasn't in Mexico or anything. But well, Daphne mentions that she's cut off ties with him. Yeah. So I okay. think he'll be back in season three at some point. But yeah. it seems like Daphne also has kind of moved on. I just wanted to say a fun fact that when I was re-watching an hour ago, I just got myself some Thai food. During the line when Dud says that the scrolls smell like eggplant, right at that moment I just put a bite of eggplant into my mouth and I was eating it. (laughs) And I'd forgotten that he even said that from the first time I watched it. So it was, yeah, I was very, um, I don't know, magical mystery stuff, serendipitous. When Dud says they're in London where they're supposed to be, are we to assume that they keep it from Dud because he's just useless and keeping secrets? Or are we like, is that his sly wink, wink? I was wondering that too. I think like he, he knows they're still in Long Beach. Yeah, I think he might know, but I couldn't tell for sure. No, I don't I, think so. No, the only person who knows is Connie because I think they gave it to Clara to take back to Lodge One, and then at the last second, she's like, "No, I don't know what's going on there." So she gives them to Connie. That's why Connie, okay. you know, has she says to Ernie, "I I need to talk to you," which I really liked because I kind of felt like it was going to be something the relationship, and I I was like, uh, it just seemed like a we need to talk. Didn't it seemed like it was leading towards something that was not very Lodge Forty Nine ish, and of course, when she shows from the scrolls, that is very Lodge Forty Nine ish. To like sit there and talk and have a melodramatic scene about their relationship or something would not have been. So that was like uh, one of those we talked about this before. One of the shows very good at like sort of setting up your expectations and kind of changing them. But anyway, I don't think that, I think everybody's supposed to think that they went back. I think it was a okay. sort of like a she called an audible 
at the airport or something and shove them in Connie's bag, that kind of thing. Like, I'm not taking these back okay. to London because I don't know what's going on back there. But I don't think he knows. And I, the way he says they're back where they belong, to me, sounded as if that he was sort of accepting the fact that this was, like, not a healthy... Like, if you, if you think about it as anything but, like, a fun thing to do with your buddies, then you've missed the point. You've, mm-hmm. you've gone off the deep end a little bit. And so he's very, like... It's, it's, you know, it, it, I don't know, in many ways, it's almost like the, the, the ring of power, like it, it leads to nothing good. So let's just leave well enough alone. And I, I think that that was sort of the, me- the, the lesson that was sort of learned. And I think that Dud has sort of accepted that, right? I think he kind of okay, yeah, knows. Yeah, that makes sense. So. All right, Bart, what was it? Give us a second act rundown. We've got, let's see, the big part of act two, I think, was Scott. Oh, he, you know, he goes down through the trap door. He takes the... The board's off. He's loosening up. He's re- realizing that he loves Elijah. He doesn't need to be a sovereign protector. And he takes the uh, wood off the trap door. And then he ends up in this woman's backyard. It's a wonderful scene. Like, it seems like it opens up the door for some some brightness for Scott's future. You know, she's like, am I dreaming? And he's like, I don't know. Am I? And <laughs> um, they have this really kind of sweet moment. And, of course, which I love that uh, when he goes back down under the whole and secures it so that it just looks like the lawn. That's the second that the boyfriend or husband or whoever he is kind of doofusy guy, especially compared to Scott, who's this like, you know, mountain man, you know, and then there, here comes this guy with like pulled up tube socks or something. And new balance uh, sneakers, which uh, I wear every day, but you know. Uh, but she doesn't mention Scott, you know, I mean, if if I was sitting out in the back with my wife and something like that happened, I'd be like, you'll never believe what just happened. And by the way, we have a we have a bomb shelter. And then, of course, there's this uh, great scene with Ernie and Scott where that's where Scott tells him he wants him to become the wants him to give him the power of the sovereign protector. They have this really sweet moment where Scott sort of says that he doesn't have any friends at the lodge ernie says of course you do and then they're riding the sea dews which is one of those things i think that scott was always offering people like why don't you come out ride a sea dews and nobody ever took him up on it um so that was a really and again i think the show kind of pulls off those moments pretty well where you know it's like it's in slow motion it's like a you know a bro comedy i don't know or something like that just this like moment where they're like on the sea dew but it was actually kind of sweet and it was great you know I don't think it was intentional, but as a TV head, when I saw that scene, I immediately thought of Eastbound and Down because they use that. You know that that's a sign of his masculinity too. And and they, you know, so I was like, and they often had him going slow motion. So I was like, oh my god! But I don't think it was intentional, but definitely seemed like an homage to Eastbound and Down. Yeah, there's also there's a great Lee Hazelwood song that I was looking up on YouTube. And that's when I came across that um, that there's the scene from East Down Down where he's on a sea do and it's in slow motion and it's this great Lee Hazelwood song. I'd rather be your enemy, you know. And I was looking up the song when I came across it, and so I I thought of that that moment too. Um, can <laughs> I throw in? Oh, go ahead. Well, let me just say one thing. Wayne Crane, you know who was the music supervisor on at least three seasons of Eastbound and Down was the MC5's Wayne Kramer. Ah, oh. ooh, yeah. nice tidbit. <laughs> I was going to say there's a couple of things we're missing in our rundown because from my notes, um, one is the scene at Tempjoy, which was Liz asking Ross if he would send her and Jeremy and Champ as a team somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, he's like, no, I can't really do that, but you guys can, you know, do your own thing. But it was funny. Um, you know, Liz is like, send us, like, a pod, or, or says something about a pod, and then Champ says, send in the pods, <laughs> which I liked. <laughs> yeah, on the... When I posted uh, when I posted the interview with Peter and Jim on the Facebook fan page, someone paid, someone commented, "Send in the pod." <laughs> nice. All right. I was like, "Yeah, that could be our nice. motto." Um, and there was one other thing. Also, the Janet and Liz interaction in Liz's apartment. We didn't talk about that, did we? No. It's like here I am no, again, and and she's Liz is like, "Get the fuck out of here! I want nothing to do with you." And she's just like impervious to it. Like we're friends. Like come on, like we're gonna work together and. Finally, she's just like, get the hell out of here. You know, no. <laughs> Olivia Sandoval does, like, basically the greatest hits of, like, Liz's psyche. You get to, like, the, right. like, let's just, you know, like, hi! Hey. You know, like, kind of, like, you know, then, Instagram girl style. And then, like, the, you know, the hardcore, you know, capitalist, uh, spiritual capitalism vibe. Right. And then, like, the the sad girl with the over-demanding parents. You get, like, in, like, the one three-minute scene, you get, like, each slice of Janet. It's amazing. It's amazing. But then also, she touches on something that comes up later that I want to talk about later that people are always telling Liz that she's self-destructive. And she says that in that moment, too. She's like, Liz, like, you're so self-destructive. I need to harness that energy or whatever. You know, she's like, why aren't you in jail? <laughs> whatever. That was a great I, exit scene for... Uh, <laughs> For yeah. Janet, for, for now, season for two, now, thought, yeah. yeah, yeah, for now, for for now, yeah. yeah. There's also this great part that I liked in that where uh, Liz and Dutter are on the couch and Dud's talking about his medical debt and he's like, oh my god, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have nothing, and it's like <laughs> I don't have him. any assets. What are they? What are they gonna, it's like you need to take. I can't. Be- that I've been in versions of that <laughs> argument so many times. <laughs> And it's such ridiculous and yet perfect logic, right? Because, like, I'm much more of a Liz in that situa- those type of situations. But, like, at the same time, and I love how she's, like, ready to hammer him. And then it's just like, you know what? Like, he's just never going to get it. Like, he's, like, the Labrador retriever that way. And he's also, like, kind of, like, weirdly, elegantly not wrong. And so she just kind of, like, bails on, like, giving him a lecture and just, like, makes a joke. And, uh, I actually thought she kind of realizes that he isn't wrong, you know. I, I, I know. For, I'm like, hang in there, Dud. Yeah, that's that's why you know God invented block this caller. I mean, you know, I've been down that road many many times. And you know, like for example, <laughs> the way I used to have my um, workers' comp worked was that they would, you know, you'd pay it every month, and then you know, at the end of the year. Then they would tally up how many hours people worked, and then they'd say like, "Oh, you owe us this money." But you, but basically, I mean, I would have not even a single uh, claim for the whole year. And I mean, it's very minor in a restaurant. I mean, typically, it's like someone cuts their finger and they need stitches. They go to the hospital; it's covered by you know workers' comp. But I probably had like two workers' comp or three in my the entire history of the restaurant. And so when they came back at me with like a bill for like $3,600, you know, at first I was just like, oh, uh, yeah, I'll get you that money when I can. And I just never could. And they stopped. So <laughs> I encourage more people to take that approach. And just for me, um, the, the first Dud quote in that scene, having just watched the debate last night, was just like, to me, I'm just like, yeah, this is an endorsement of Bernie Sanders. You know, Dud says... My wound is healed, so my debt should be healed, too. It's like, <laughs> fuck yeah, like, you got your medical care, and that should be that. Yeah, not to mention they didn't even get the tooth out. 
<laughs> right, yeah. exactly. The actual like, root of the problem. If Blaze doesn't get that thing out, I mean, he's looking at an amputated leg eventually. It was, it was, you know, it smelled really badly, right? So it was rotting yeah. flesh, basically. I mean, you had a bad infection. It was only going to get I mean, worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. That leg's been and through a course, lot. Yeah. But I love that scene. I was kind of like, yes! I was like, you know, like fist pumping. Yeah, just ignore them. They'll keep calling, but just keep ignoring them. Like, oh, I did um, want to talk oh. I did want to talk about uh, within that Let's not jump over the Scott walking underneath half of Long Beach. Right, right. That was a. I think that's a big clue. Like yeah. you know, the the secret tunnels. But like, he, what did he say? He said, didn't he tell Ernie like I think I walked a mile yeah. over there. Yeah, and it's connected to these. And he calls it a bomb shelter. And then we know the that we know the Orbis underground. And of course, in in Circles episode like. Did Orbis just link all of Long Beach with underground tunnels and bomb shelters? And then is that what Dud falls through? So I think, you know, like there's always these mythological things that end up circling back to practical answers that still also seem kind of fantastical at the same time, just but they're real. And so there's something about I think that was a pretty big reveal underground journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's a big, big setup for next season, and it's cool as hell too. But it was like his walkabout, right? It was like <laughs> that final thing he needed to do to, like, you know, like forty days in the desert was go wander the underground tunnels of Long Beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So then we're up to the scene where it's in Dud's backyard, right? Um, yeah, then in front of the trailer. Yeah. Um, and um, front yard, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, it has this really great shot where there's Dud and Liz and the. Um, they're kind of like, they're in the middle, but the, it's kind of pulled back pretty far. So they look kind of small and you can see the giant ominous gray skies behind them, which now that we've all seen it, you know, I mean, you could feel it the first time you watched it, that the storm is coming, but you don't, you know, um, but watching it a second time, you're like, wow, it's such a, like, it's kind of a real beautiful shot, I thought. And, um, with the really gray skies in the background. And that's when he says, I'm going to, I'm I, like, I'm going to build a pool, you know, like I've got the space and, you know, and Liz is sort of like, do it. You know, she's usually saying to Dud to like, you know, she's usually the voice of reason with Dud, but on this one, she's like encouraging him um, sort of ironically, because that's what gets him struck by lightning later. Um, and then we have that great scene. Wait, at wait, the, wait, um, sorry. Wait. So in that scene, Jeremy says to Dud when he sees the oil derrick, are you drilling for oil? And Dud says, there's nothing underneath here except the hollow earth. Yeah. Kind of joking or half joking, but that's, you know, foreshadowing for what happens at the end. That hollow earth is underneath there. He falls through it, into it, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good call. Sorry. Caught that on rewatch. Caught that on rewatch. And then, of course, we have that great scene where Liz is at that park where she um, gave money to the homeless guy and then tackled him later. And <laughs> she runs into Tony the psychic. And I really like that scene. I know, Jim, you did too. Uh, I just, I thought it was really great to see him again. I really liked him the first time around. And there was a very, I thought, deep connection between him and Liz. When he, especially when he mentions that, you know, you're a twin and you're supposed to, you're supposed to be on the other side of the earth earth so they have this great scene where he you know sort of jokes about the fact that he can see these visions and she calls him on it and then nonetheless she still leaves her 
with something sort of deep that doesn't really need to be a uh, prediction that's proven true, which is that uh, maybe you're drawn to what other people fear. And that's sort of what like Janet was getting at as well. Um, Jim, did you want to say a little something about that scene? Yeah, I wanted to say a couple of things. Yeah, I really, that was maybe my favorite scene in the episode. And yeah, very happy to see James Urbaniak there again as Tony. And also possibly my favorite line in the whole episode was calling back to something we saw a couple times in season one. I don't, I don't, remember, I don't think it's season two, but when Liz says, I've been spending time in freezers. <laughs> she was just when she, back to when she was hanging out in her refrigerator and, and she does it in the she does it in the walk-in high stakes too. Oh, okay, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. I forgot about that. That was a great visual too, right? And that and she when she's wearing the the dress and the yeah. choker and whatever, yeah. So right compared to Jeremy, who's wearing like a giant parka, he can't handle the cold, and yeah. Liz is in this like you know skirt. Yeah. <laughs> So for me, like, I feel like there might have been something important here or, or this could lead into like a prediction or something. So she says, you know, the cold relaxes her and she dreams of blizzards. And this made me wonder whether whatever is under Orbis, like responds to each person's character or their fantasies or their their perspective on the world. Because when she went under there, she saw what seemed to be like the Arctic or Antarctica and she got snow in her hair. And when Dud went down there, he saw, like, a pool of lights that seemed like stars or whatever. Like, they had totally different experiences in what we think was the same place. So, right. I don't know. If that was sort of a hint of, like, there's something there that's, like, you know, senses you and gives you your own experience of it. I don't know. I don't know. But the other, and Bart, you already touched on this quote that, yeah, maybe you're drawn to what other people fear. But what I liked about that part of the conversation is that he flips what everyone's always telling her she has a death wish and she's self-destructive and you know no one wants to hear that no one wants to be told these like negative things about yourself over and over again by people it's frustrating and so i like that he flipped that and subverted it and said the abyss isn't death and then that thing about drawn to people what other people fear and then he said that probably makes you more alive so like totally reverses yeah. what it's about you know i like that yeah it was a great scene and then, of course, we have another great scene to end this second quadrant or whatever, where uh, Dud kind of bequeaths the pool shop to Blaze. And I think, um, you know, Blaze kind of instantaneously realizes, like, how sacred it is to Dud and kind of tries to not take it. Of course, Dud has to reaffirm him that, you know, look, you are family at this point. And so I, I would rather you have it than nobody. And, I mean, or somebody I don't know, or obviously pool party, you know, or vape shop. So I thought that was a really kind of like, I don't know, very touching moment between the two of them. You know, as much as Dud is close with Ernie, he really is sort of uh, a great squire to Blaze as well, I think. It's, um, you know, I think when they're leaving for Mexico and Blaze falls asleep on his shoulder, you know, there's there's a something special between their bond, I think. Um, and Dud giving him the shop so he can get back on his feet again or setting him up with the shop, I guess. And then, you know, giving him his blessing that he can have the shop without feeling bad about it or something, you know, was, I think, I don't know. I thought it was a real special moment. I also, if we get a, when, sorry, when we get a season three, the idea of blaze in the, the, the strip mall with the donut shop and Bert and Herman. I mean, he's, that's a, he's a great, I love him in that set. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to have a, a uh, shark tooth removal business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
He's a healer and he's confident about it. I think that's, I think getting that shark tooth out of Dud was the same as getting that little um, worm out of his nose. I mean, it kind of <laughs> confirms that he does know what he's doing and he needs that affirmation. Not so little, the worm. Right, right. Well, yeah. Like 10 I think I was going to say little snake. That's what I was going to thinking. Either a little snake or a giant worm. That's in season four. There's He pulls a snake out of somebody. Yeah. Wait for that. Um, Uh, All right. Then now we're into the third act where we have, it starts basically with that wonderful, really moving, touching scene between Ernie and Dud in the library where Ernie is going to be named sovereign protector and he tells Dud that he wants to make him a knight. And they get into this conversation. Basically, Dud kind of talks about how he was, you know, it's very similar to what Ernie went through. He said, you know, he was kind of lost and then he found the lodge and Larry. And and so Dud did a similar thing. He lost his father, didn't really know, lost his job, lost everything, basically his house didn't really know where he was going and then it ends up at the lodge and of course as much as he loves the lodge it can't help but be a reminder of the fact that the reason he's at the lodge is because he lost his dad so would he trade the lodge for his dad probably but now he loves the lodge a lot you know so he's got this conflict going on and I, i think this is something i really love about dud you know we were talking about we interviewed jim and peter about it and how like he's not a slacker he's not like a stoner he's not one of those sorts of things there's a real deepness to Dud that I think it's um, overlooked to some degree because of his spontaneity and lightness of character, which is we all very good qualities. And then he has these moments like this where he kind of just kind of comes up with these really deep thoughts. And when he says, you know, all the beautiful things in my life break my heart, will it always feel this way? I mean, just I, I'll tell you also... Sometimes I will, there's a big pause before Ernie answers and I'll say to myself, like, what would you write? You know? Mm -hmm. And I was thinking like, well, shit, the only answer is yes, but no, it would be something else. But of course then Ernie says yes. And so I I don't know. I just really thought that that was, (laughs) was just really phenomenal. That's the deal. You know, I, I think there's something to getting a little older and wiser in life where you kind of realize that you have to roll with the the negative a little bit. You know, uh, I always will say to people like, you know, you always hear about how hard it is to have children. And it's in these terms of like, oh, you got to wake up in the middle of the night. You got to change diapers. You got to do all these things. And really what's difficult about having a child, which I didn't realize till I had them, was that you then realize that if anything happens to them, your life will be shattered. To me, you've got to be able to, at some point, make peace with that, that the life is going to, it's, you know, you, it's, it's going to be hard at times and you're going to have to accept it. And, and I guess know that there are, you know, there's lodges, you know, there's a yin and a yang to the whole process. So there's going to be a lodge, but then maybe it's because you, you only found the lodge because you lost your father in a very tragic and sudden way. I don't know. That, that definitely seemed to be like kind of, to me, the highlight of the episode was that understanding I think that that uh, Dud gets in that scene and the guidance he gets from 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 Ernie it was it was just phenomenal yeah. did you, anybody want to say anything before I move on here's what I wrote in my notes the Dud speech is so sad it sums up life <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, so sentimental but like I felt like 
I mean, that's what I was kind of skipping over. I said so sort of in a shallow way in the beginning about this being the best show and the arc of their friendship and just like how they've had their ups and downs and they've had their funny moments. And then something like this is just like emotional impact is so real. And, and just, you know, I mean, I mean, thinking about that for days or weeks like that, just that scene between them. The rest yeah, of my life. That, the rest of my life. Uh, well, and there's two things, right? One they're also in their like lodge formal garb, which just kind of elevates everything, you know, does, you know so it just kind of gives it, gives the whole scene a certain like added emotional weightiness because they're in their robes, the gown and they're in the library and it kind of like the, the grandeur of the lodge, which, you know, we don't really see or feel a lot in modern, modern day lodge. It was kind of really cool to see. And then it's also the scene where he gives them back the car, the thing. Which was yeah. a big moment in general. Oh, right, he gives him the key. Yeah, yeah, which is and it's also his means to to walk into his new life as a salesman. So that was a that was a really powerful exchange too when he when he, he gives over he gives over the the car. There was something funny in there too that I I, I wrote down some notes about because um, I just felt like intentional or not. I think it was probably intentional for me. It was like a a sort of a dig or a send up of something a lot of TV shows and movies do. And, like, Dud is whispering, like, we're ready for you, whatever. Yeah. Ernie's like, why are we whispering? And Dud goes, because you whisper when things are important. And, like, to me, that was, like, so hilarious because, like, I hate it. So many TV shows and movies do that where, like, people are just, like, whispering for no fucking reason because it's supposed to sound, like, momentous or shocking or dramatic. And I'm like, why the hell are they whispering? (laughs) (laughs) And so, to me, that was that really hit home and was very funny. Oh, I remember I was going to say about the car, too. I love how every important debt payback or catch-up that happens in Ernie and uh, Dud's world is due to weird gambling. I've mentioned this before, but this this is the third one. We get... Season one, the the cockfighting, and that's how they get a bunch. They get flushed and are able to, you know, that gets them through. Then, Dud and Liz with the horse track winnings, mm-hmm. and then this when he says, I, "It's so funny to say," he says, "With my dumplings victory money." Right. <laughs> so all these like strange competitive, you know, bets are like how these characters like get back to zero, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a yeah. little bit from my dumplings victory. <laughs> The only way anybody can pull out of this, uh, you know, late stage capitalism, right, is you have to get lucky on some sort of weird bet. Yeah. Right, on, on like some, like, game of chance. By the way, one reason you can tell the show's getting more popular is the animated GIFs have started to grow, but there is one of a slow-mo animated GIF of Paul Giamatti eating dumplings from that scene <laughs> that is just, uh, that's why, it's why. And then after we have this great scene between Ernie and Dud, then we have this great scene where Ernie is giving his sort of acceptance speech. And that was also phenomenal. That's the writing in these two scenes were so great, you know, um, which I think has a very, it could be very easy for them to, to kind of go in a, I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of pressure on these, both of these sorts of scenes. You kind of got to get it right. You know, what is Ernie going to say up there? And you can kind of see this change of character in Ernie where he's now, it's not just about hanging out with people at the lodge. It's, it is, it does have a deeper meaning. Um, it, it doesn't have to be about scrolls and magic, but it does have a deeper meaning. It's not just hanging out. Um, he kind of 
demonstrates how well he's kind of rebounded in his life. And you can see like a very happy man on stage. The world outside these world, these walls, the world is a cold, cold place. And in here it's, it's different, you know? Um, so we have that great scene where Ernie's kind of becomes the sound protector. They throw him up on their shoulders basically and hip hip hooray. Um, then we have uh, the fulfillment of the El Confidente painting with uh, Dunn and Liz going night swimming. They're floating on their backs. Wonderful scene. Some great music going on at that point as well. Then we have the reveal to Ernie that the scrolls are not in London, but they're actually still there in South Beach. Long Beach. And then Long Beach. Long Beach. I always say South. I'm so sorry to the people of Long Beach. Um, I always... I always think I'm going to say like Long Island and then I think it's not that. And then I think don't say the Florida one. Anyway, I'm not very good with California. It's fine. We um, all, you know, we're geography. just doing our best it's, here. It's my uh, name mispronunciation. It's <laughs> geography. Um, so, uh, yeah, Clara doesn't trust London. So they're keeping the scrolls there. Um, then we catch up with Clara she's got to put the um the phone rings she's got to put the blindfold on the bookshelf slides over the door opens someone's coming out who is it we don't know okay that is yeah um I just wanted to bring it back for a second to what Connie said to Ernie which was pretty blockbuster of a quote uh she said Ernie I think we are the true lodge yeah that's right so I think that was pretty important. And she's been on that. I mean, she's kind of, she's been stumbling around that a little bit on a couple different levels, right? Because she was kind of investigating that when she first got to Lodge One and asking a bunch of questions, plus all of her research and bubbling work on Orbis. So sometimes whether she's known it or not, she's been on that case for almost a season and a half. I just thought her visit to London was just kind of spontaneous. No, I don't think it motivated her, but remember how she was kept getting interested in all of the Long Beach connections that she would see in some of the bric-a-brac at, at Lodge One, and then, you know, she's been researching Orbis for a while. So I just think, I don't think she knew it that she was investigating it, but she actually has been kind of dancing around and, and, and curious and interested in that, what what part does Long Beach play, I think, for a while? Right, and it, there was some hint of it, too, I think. Was it in Circles, maybe, where we learned that uh, Harwood Fritz Merrill, there was something special yes. about it, you know, Long Beach, that he... Um, it's Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense to me that it would be... So, like, Lodge, the, the one in London would just be sort of like a... Um, like a figurehead lodge. Right, or um, a decoy a decoy yeah. lodge or something, right? And that, that's where the importance is. I think something we learned from um, Jocelyn is that there, I mean, I don't know, which, when Connie's at the London Lodge, she seems to be having a blast, but it seems like the Jocelyn likes the Lodge 49 because of the people there, and I don't know. Well, I also think he just loved California and not dreary England. That's part of it. Yeah, I guess that's Yeah, it. he was getting sun, and he was, this is a totally different lifestyle for him that he... Didn't ever know he would enjoy. Uh, but by the way, I miss I miss mind. Jocelyn. Like last yeah. week, Scott, that was his his uh, thank you appreciation about how he did Jocelyn wrong, which I love that. I love that admittance. But I'm pretty confident we will see him again. But I, he just dropped off the face of the earth. 
Oh, it was so terribly sad. I mean, he, you know, he, he like basically says goodbye to his parents. Remember, he like lives with his parents and then he comes to California and he's having a grand old time. He's bonding with Scott. He's doing the right thing with Scott. He's like, you know, he's kind of very gently sort of letting him know when Scott's missing the mark, I think. And then Scott just sort of turns on him and he's got no choice, but he has to go back. And, um, and of course he's, the fulfillment of the painting where he's back in Cherry London. Yeah. And the music they played was so was so good at the, for that scene. It just, yeah, it, I'm sure we're going to see, you know, I think a lot of the show has to do with people um, getting back on their feet, you know, and a lot of what was so refreshing about this episode was that we have like Dud kind of figuring it out, Ernie kind of figuring it out, Connie's figured it out, Blaze has figured it out. At some point, I'm, I'm sure, it, it, Scott's figured it out. Um, it seems like, you know, at some point, that, that the same will happen for Jocelyn. I just figured we'd see Jocelyn back at Lodge One at some point this season. You know, I thought I, yeah. I just I find it odd and strange that we didn't see him back in his home turf at all. And who knows? Maybe he's part of whatever is developing behind the door. Mm. Although he, he doesn't really seem like he knows a whole he lot. He seemed like a he seemed like a cog. Yeah, as well, a happy cog. Right, but I'm sure by the end of season four, this will all be answered. <laughs> That's right. All right, Barb, pick positive. It up. Or maybe season five. Maybe season yeah, five. Maybe season, it might know, have yeah. to go into season five. And okay, so then yeah, and then we have the ending where Liz shows up to pick up Dud. Of course, he's not ready. She seems like she doesn't want to go into the lodge because she's a sort of stubborn that way. And of course, Connie's like, "Why not, like, why don't you come in?" She tries to say no, but then Connie kind of insists. So Liz comes in, and she's—it's almost like she has vertigo of some sort. You know, she's just kind of like feeling the lodge. Like it's, she's got this strong sense of deja vu. She almost faints when the when the lightning strikes, and maybe that's when it strikes Dud or something. No, it's no, when he gets not. possessed. It's when he gets. It's earlier. Well, it's, the moment Dud yeah. is like. Zoinks, I'm not going to close the top of my go. car. I'm going to go dig the pool right. is when, is when right. she faints. Yeah. That's yeah. when it happens. And then we get the ending. And fellas, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love it, but yeah. I was I had to watch it. Like, I kept watching it as if I was going to learn something new each time, and then I just kind of kept being like I still don't know what to fucking make of it and of course you know then when we text each other and you're talking about the hollow earth and maybe he slid through and then he went through the door and you know all that sort of makes some sort of sense but um I initially was like wow first he's bitten by a snake then he's he's bitten by a shark then he's struck (laughs) by lightning and then he, he drowns in quicksand he like has like a eight different uh really insanely statistical deaths in two seasons. He's like know. the, he's like yeah. the character in that Atari game adventure. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> jumping over the crocodiles. Yeah. It's quick. Jumping on their heads. Snakes. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the ways you die yeah. in adventure. Like Wiley coyote or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, but uh, yeah, the moment when I was going to say the moment when, the shovel is struck by lightning. It's a very Frankenstein thing yeah. to me. Or I mean, a million other references too. But Bride of Frankenstein. Um, Young Frankenstein. Yeah, Bride of Frankenstein. Right. Young, <laughs> Young Frankenstein, Frankenstein is my main reference for that story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just do want to say, you know, 
in one of our first episodes recapping season one, I was kind of like, I want to see Liz at the lodge. And like, that was always my dream. And it finally came true. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, so I was excited for that. I was, I'm always, I'm always at this point when I watch the show, just thinking about our show in tandem, I'm always thinking about like our conversation about the show as well. And I'm like, Holy crap. Are we going to see the, conclusion of uh, Jim and Bart's bet about whether Liz enters the lodge. And there's even like that where she, she isn't quite sure <laughs> if she's going to crack the seal. Liz, I'm like, Oh my God, is, I, I, like, the tension's very high. And I'm, and I'm basically talking about our show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt like I lost and, you know, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> when she entered. <laughs> but also the look on her face, she's like, I belong here. But, um, you know, a couple of things with that. One thing was, remember when Dud first went in, the very first episode, he looked at the throne room door and he's like, I've been here before. And then she did the same thing. Yeah. And so he sort of had, and he had sort of this dream of like what the throne room looked like and it wasn't what it really was. Although it sort of kind of was, but it made me wonder like, is there something in their actual life and past that like they did go in there have something to do with their dad or who knows? But like, like they were baptized way, there or something, something. That was interesting. I, I did then, see someone say yeah. online, you know, some fan forum discussion thing with Bob, how did Dud find his dad's ring in the first scene of the episode? Oh. So, like, was yeah. was Dud Sr. involved with the Lodge? We have no evidence, right? Like, it, but, it, you know, right. but just this kind of, guesswork evidence like yes now we have some does dud and now confirmed liz deja vu slash connection to the lodge and you know and that is the last place we know dud senior to have been was on that very same beach so yeah. uh, you know this this just all gets into a little bit crackpot theorizing but that's one thing i i heard so and the other thing was that in the very beginning Connie says to Ernie, like, you're, it was so great that Dud did show up here and become, you, you needed a squire. And he says something like, you know, maybe you do too, or maybe you need a squire. And so when I rewatched that, I thought about like, oh, Liz, that means Liz. She's going to be her squire. Yeah, I don't know. Connie could be a great, you know, it seems like Liz is constantly searching for, I don't know, mother figure. Yeah, Connie could be that for her, for sure. We should have, if we, we should have kept all of our predictions in like a spreadsheet or whatever, especially since so many of them could be scored and have had moments of reckoning because not to toot my own horn, but I did call the, the uh, Connie Liz connection. You know, she's been on a search for a mother figure, a search for her own older gender based uh, mentor all season and I and I said something about Connie, and so you know there there it was, and th- there was something that passed between them when they met. I agree. I wish you were keeping track because Scott also burned down the lodge, and I was right about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the ending was wild. You almost can't have any firm opinions, right? It's ob- Hollow Earth, the the tunnels. I mean, there's things we could talk about, but it was. So weird, so bang bang bang, so many ch- so many checkoffs things, right? There was checkoffs lightning because there's like three or four lightning before it does the shovel, and you're like, is that going to be lightning strikes? Is, and the, oh, there's a lightning strike, and then of course the classic checkoff gun of this entire season was the door, 
you know, which then finally gets put into play in the, literally the last three seconds of season two. But, you know, the door has been teasing us all season long right there, you know, floating above the, the parking lot. All series. Yes, all series. Yeah. goes back to, you know, season one. They kind of, the door is there, but they don't really make a much of a mention of it. And you just have to notice that it, it does stick out. It's kind of weird. And like I said, when I when I was in Ohio and I saw like three lodges on one like half mile strip of road, they all had a door back there like that, except they had the actual staircase to go with it. It's just a fire exit, basically. But I did think it was kind of, I don't know. It seems like whatever research they did for lodges that that, you know, obviously that door is there on some building where they're filming, I would, I would imagine. And I think that gave them I imagine that that's something that they kind of found on set or something. I mean, I don't know. That's not probably not giving them enough credit, but that was something that they found they thought was cool. And then they decided to work it in once they saw it in real life. But of course it could have just been thought of ahead of time, I'm sure too. But I did notice that when I saw those lodges, when I was in Cleveland, that um, they, you know, like that. So I'd imagine that's a very common thing that they have those, (laughs) that these types of buildings have those types of doors. Yeah. That was a great payoff of, of the door. I mean, really, the first 40 minutes of this episode thinking, wow, this actually feels like a series finale. You know, they're wrapping a bunch of stuff up. There's a lot of conclusions. There's, yes, some mysteries sprinkled in. I wasn't like, but I was like, wow, we're really, we're really kind of putting the bookend on season two here. And then blammo, we're into weird and cliffhangers, like almost that quickly. Did, did either of you feel the kind of like bait and switch blammo routine with that the way ending and the way it was fit with the rest of the episode? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I was concerned when I saw Jim Gavin on Instagram say something like, "We have however many episodes of Lodge Forty Nine left." I think it was two episodes left, and then people in the comments were like, "Wait, are you saying Lodge Forty Nine or just season two? <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, season two. And just because we know it hasn't, you know, there's been no announcement about it being renewed yet, they were sort of in the back of my head like, is this it? Are they going to find it? Or are they going to end it in such a way that if they had to wrap, if they had to end it, it would be like a nice, clean ending? And it did seem like you're saying to be heading in that way, like with, and like Bart, you were saying earlier, like everyone's figured it out, like everyone's gotten to their happy place, it plays, Ernie, whoever, everybody. And so I was ready for that, like, oh, we're really getting to some kind of like real conclusion. And then... Yeah, blammo. I, I think that that um, sense that there's going to be some sort of weird, you know, twist or something, I think kind of you, you can kind of sense that and feel that over the whole episode. So I agree that it was leading up to it and, and kind of felt very natural, like all these uh, loose ends were tied up, uh, a couple setups for maybe a possible season three. Um, but they're, 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 I, I think that when Dud started walking, I was kind of a little bit like, okay. Like here, here it comes. Like we're we're gonna there. There, it did feel to me like there was gonna be some sort of twist at the end, and I think that's more to do with just the way that the show has been sort of from the beginning, where there's there's always a little bit of some sort of hook. Like the I think, like I said, I think the show exists on these two planes, right? So there's like the personal where we can those sorts of ends are tied up, but then you know it does have that like ability to have the 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 ending that screws your head or something or that cliffhanger. And so it, it, it felt like something should be coming. And so I didn't know what it was going to be. And then I was kind of totally confused by what it turned out to be. 
but I I did think it was it didn't feel out of left field. It felt like it was it was still building to something. But then what it was was maybe out of left field. I don't know if that makes sense. But that's sort of the way I felt it. And I mean, like I say, like with the storm clouds, you know, throughout the episode, the uh, dark you know, there was something brooding the whole time, you know. What it turned out to be, I think, was kind of a surprise. But the fact that it was there wasn't that surprising. That makes sense. It was weird when Dad, like, turns possessed. That was like a, that was a strange, strange bit. And I thought why Russell really sold that. Because he's just like, happy-go-lucky Dad, excited to go to Catalina. You gotta get, and then it's it just like, you know, like, it's such a great, because it's such a great, subtle, possessed acting there. I loved it. And, like, was he going to really dig an entire pool in the next hour? But was he digging? <laughs> are we just assuming it was a pool because he said it? Or was there some, like, was he actually trying to get into, yeah, like, I like I wonder well, if it was just wasn't the pool. He was trying to get to the whatever's under there. Because, I mean... I did at first. I was like, "Oh, he's he's digging the pool because it's raining." But I'm like, "No, like the water's gonna soak back to the ground. Like you have to have, have to have the concrete in there, like to actually catch the water." Yeah, I don't know. It was yeah. And it was, he does turn. It was very and strange. Look at the uh, rainbow and smile. So whatever trance he's under, he seems he's to right. break it for a moment. Who is he? Maybe he's Harwood Fritz Merrill in that moment. Yeah, I, it was wild. And I have to say, it was a baller move by Peter Acco and Jim Gavin because they kind of put it on the table. They didn't do the, like, well, if this ended here, you could see it. I mean, they said, like, no, we're putting straight up weird cliffhanger right here on the table. You Now you cancel us, you know? Uh, to the point where I actually yeah. like a little bit like oh, I don't know if it ends on that I'm not going to be <laughs> super happy but but yeah that, I wouldn't be think, their fault no no but yeah like I said it was a baller move it was like you know your your balls in your court AMC I agree it was kind of like yeah. they put their I mean, arm around the neck and they kind of held it prisoner you know yeah. like dragged it into the next room <laughs> you know like you want your boy come get your boy. Sign us up in season three. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, if even if, you know, if they have to finish it somehow. So even if there's not a season three, they have to do like a puppet show of like the final, you know, parts of the story, something. They could always make a movie um, for the, you know, or something if they want, I suppose. I don't know. I, Fuck that. Just give them season three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as many seasons as they want. Yeah. Let's say that. Yeah. Jim Gavin, but, someone asked him on Twitter. He did like a, he was doing like a, ask me anything type Twitter session. And someone said, if it gets canceled, maybe you should do it, finish it as a novel. And I was like, Ooh, that's actually not a horrible idea. And then have Paul Giamatti uh, yeah. read the, <laughs> the audio book. <laughs> Even more so than last season with the shark. That one made storytelling sense. It was hallucinatory. I never had the sense he was going to die or was in that much danger. Cause it, you could tell it was on his leg and, the paramedics were there quickly. Uh, it wasn't another example of the psychic link between Liz and Deb, though, because remember, she drops everything and, and races mm-hmm. over there. So it's similar in that way, actually, in terms of their psychic connection. But this, I'm I'm legitimately worried about about Deb way more than I was after the shark tank, shark attack. Yeah, I mean, that's a big fall, too, for... To fall onto pavement, right? It's a, it's a parking lot. It's not even like it's grass. No. Right. Poor Dud, man. He's gonna. He thought his medical bills were bad before. 
<laughs> Blaze will heal yeah. him. Blaze will find a way to heal his spinal spinal injury or whatever happens. All right, let's let's jump into our alchemist of the week, and then we got some updates about the show and some next steps. This is not. One little sneak preview, and this is not the last time we're going to talk about season two and a bunch of stuff. So, uh, this, so there'll be more to come. Let's jump into our alchemist of the week. Bart, who's your alchemist of the week? I'm just going dud. I just, I really, I mean, I feel like I'm always sort of, I, I feel like sometimes Doug gets a little bit of a snub just because he's the main character, and maybe I'm feeling sentimental, and maybe it's the last episode. But um, there was just something so very dud-like about everything. Even Ernie uh, takes the time in his speech to kind of say that, like, to, to everybody in the room, that, like, it was because of this man. We've all kind of gotten this renewed uh, bond with the Lodge. We kind of owe it to him. You know, I owe a lot to Dud, and so so does the Lodge. And, I mean, there's no... I don't have any metaphorical connection to him being the Alchemist of the Week. Just, just sense that, like... In this moment, I just want to give him his due, the importance of the character. I also think we often, very, very often talk about what great acting goes on in the show, and um, I don't know that we always give Dud his due. Yeah, I just was very, very, very moved by that scene. And even when he's in the audience and Ernie is giving him props for everything he's done, that look on his face was just so real, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's like kind of on the verge of tears. Um, it was it was just quite remarkable, and so for that, for the finale, for everything that he means to the show, I'm going Dud. Dud is my alchemist of the week. Jim, my alchemist of the week, and I guess I'd say of the season is Ernie. He becomes sovereign protector. He gets the promotion at work. He seems to be in a happy place. He's put his sadness about his daughter behind him. I mean, I'm sure it's still there, but he, you know was able to work through that he you know helped scott get over what he's going through and um he just displays his wisdom and shows that he's somebody that earned everyone's admiration and is a true leader i'm going a little non-traditional not in like a weird character necessarily but not a person i'm actually doing my alchemist of the week is the lodge itself because we saw the Lodge really make a lot of alchemical changes, right? We go from Scott to Ernie with the with the Sovereign Protector and some, you know, in that scene with the television and a couple others. But we really see when Liz crosses the plateau, the world really gets wacky. That's when all the that's when we hit the strangeness and overdrive. So there's obviously some alchemical reaction between both uh, Dudley twin siblings being in the lodge at the same time where where uh, the reality starts to get shaken and the, and the lodge really does uh, make its transformational magic. So with that, I'm making the lodge, 40, lodge 49, Long Beach, my alchemist of the week. All right. All right, we're going we're gonna to forego doing predictions because – what are we really predicting? And give you a couple of notes about how we're going to move forward. One, we got, we have two exciting interviews. At least we have uh, Thomas Pass- Patterson and special guests coming up that will release next week. And then David uh, Yuri, uh, also recorded probably next week as well, but we'll see. 
So we got a couple more interviews, and we're working on actively booking more interviews. Here's where we are with the show. If it gets renewed, we have a whole off-season plan that we will put together and share, and it's going to include things like more interviews, deeper dives on subjects, book clubs, viewing clubs. We have a, we have what we think would be a pretty fun set of shows, probably less frequent, more on a month-to-month or every couple weeks basis, not the, the weekly things because we're not really having to follow that schedule. But we will continue to have Pod 49 content. If the unspeakable happens and the show really is done, then we probably will do a bunch of uh, wrap-ups and post-mortems. And definitely we have a couple more shows planned where we're going to kind of look at season two more broadly and let ourselves sit with it a little bit. And there we might be doing things like Alchemist of the Season and doing some predictions about uh, if there's a season three, what we might see. So lots to come on that front. Follow us on Twitter. Don't delete us from your podcasting apps. We'll be we'll be updating people as as we go. And please, if you could, rate and review us on the podcasting apps. We, we'd love to see that. Another thing that we will probably do, rain or shine, is I think we're talking about doing a mailbag episode at some point over maybe the next couple weeks. So maybe as part of our wrap-up of season two. So we'll, we'll put out a call and uh, do a mailbag episode and answer some of your questions and get some of your thoughts and kind of just read and react to some of that. So all stuff to look out for. Um, but we are on pins and needles about season three. I know a lot of you have been very active online. We're going to continue to use the hashtag. In the show notes for this show, we will start to put a lot of the different contact numbers for AMC, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of good stuff floating around about what you can do to make your voice heard to keep uh, the show around for at minimum one more season. So you can find all of that. Uh, in the show notes if you want to take action from there. All right, guys, any parting shots? Uh, I don't know. What a ride this has been. It's kind of surreal that it's this is kind of it. Or not it, but, I mean, for us, recording, we got through the season. Yeah, we got yeah. 10 shows in, the in well, I guess 12 in, plus in the books. But we're just getting started. We really have enjoyed bringing this to you and uh, – Hopefully we've improved a little bit. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. And uh, we're, we're planning and thinking about much more Lodge 49-related content that we would love, love, love to bring you. And we really want to thank everyone for listening and downloading and interacting with us. It really has been an amazing ride. We did not I, – I, this is not just being annoying. We really did not expect a very big audience for this uh, we didn't even really allow ourselves to hope, I don't think. But uh, we just said we're going to do it for, for us and the few people that like it and go from there and never expected to be closing in on 3,000 downloads, which is pretty mind-boggling. Yeah, and when we got to talk to creators of the show and some actors in the show, it was kind of crazy, kind of wild ride. Yeah, getting a lot of support from uh, cast and crew on, on social media has been fun as well. Totally, yeah. The community that's grown up around the show – is so neat because it includes fans, cast and crew, journalists, people that work in the TV and movie industry. And there's a, like a lot of screenwriters in the community and things like that. So that's super, super fun. And a big thank you to to the 
AMC, AMC PR team. They got us these interviews. They got us press access. They got us uh, screener copies so we could be prepared for some of these interviews. That They have been very helpful and very accommodating to our, our young podcast. So thank you to Joy and Susanna and all those at, at AMC, AMC's PR team. And with that, we'll see you at band night. <laughs>